Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 96, Siren Songs of Power and Pleasure. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us here at the Worldwide Shedquarters in Blacksburg, Virginia. My man Jesse is here, looking fly with his Bonhoeffer House hat on. Doing it right today. This is a brand new one. This is like like we just got a brand new order of stuff in. And uh, I already have two of these, but they get this kind of like sweat ring on them. <laughs> a little salt ring. <laughs> like a little so salt. <laughs> had to put the fresh one on today. Awesome. Look, looks good. Fresh, fresh and crisp. The new hats. I got a new hat that says BattleBots on it because BattleBots is my new favorite show. You ever watch BattleBots? Oh, Bots? yeah. Oh, yeah. Well... Well, I mean, I'm, I, the way I answered that made it sound like I'm a big fan. I, I don't know. I've watched the show, but my boys love it. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They build their own battle bots using whatever junk they can find. Bro, battle bots. Have you ever heard of hex bugs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have hex bugs made out of these little battle bots things like Tombstone and you know, Bite Force. These. I know. Every time I go to Target, oh my, my, my boys are like, can we please buy these? <laughs> no, I'll give you some old junk in a microwave and you can make your own. Your boys are going to have some BattleBots hex bots. I'm going to order them today. Well, man, it's good to see you. It's good to um, be here in the uh, in the shed quarters. Yeah, it's been a been a lot of rain last I few I thought days, I was going to have to drive over a flood to get here. It's been so much rain. School is canceled because of rain in Blacksburg. I don't know if it is over there. In, yeah, I think everywhere Radford, around here. But yeah, man, it's good to be back. We're talking about what we resist. We've been talking about resistance thinking, uh, mm. uh, sojourning in Babylon, why we should care about that, We right, for witness and refuge. We want to maintain a Christian identity amongst culture. And today we're going to be looking at the siren songs of power and pleasure things that we should resist we'll talk about that here in a moment uh jesse but we have a i i think um i have a question for for you i think this it's is the right that's not oh, the right no, button not yes it is not i'm gonna a review or something let's do it that into it, so jesse right i just back. got this is really it's dorky i just got two carbon steel frying pans you ever heard of these things Yes. Yes. That was Do you have I, those? No, I no. don't. Have, I, I use uh, some cast iron. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've heard of the carbon steel. Yeah, carbon steel, similar properties to cast iron. Yeah. You got to season it. Uh, heats up well, holds heat nonstick really well. Um, and I got this Kickstarter thing, and I and I bought some, and they finally got here, and I'm like cooking fried eggs in them, man. They slide right Yeah, in. yeah. Slide right off. Um, it, it's seasoning nicely. I've never cooked like that. I feel like a real cook like now. Like a real like, cook. Like, like I'm not just buying the janky little Walmart pan that kind of gets messed yeah. up. But Meeson, M-I-S-E-N, Meeson Carbon Steel Frying Pans. That's that's a reviewish for us because we didn't intend to reviewish. But, but I hit the, the song came on. But I hit the wrong button. I think <laughs> I think this is oh. the one we wanted, right? <laughs> that we did in or out last time. We're going to do it again because I have a question for you today. Uh, I need you to go in on this because I'm a person well, who is, is having a exist- I'm having an existential crisis. Jesse Fury should read Monahan, a PC user since the early 1990s. Should I buy a Macintosh laptop in the future? 
The old Macintosh. Well, first of all, we're all having an existential crisis in 2020, aren't we? <laughs> about lots of about things. lots of things. And I feel trivial for saying yeah, I'm having no. a whether I should buy a Mac or not. But it's a big deal. But the people, the people out there who know me, I used to mock everything Apple. I used to call Mac idolatry, Steve Jobs cult. cult, um, cult yeah. I used a Palm Pre instead of a iPhone for a while, <laughs> <laughs> and then now I've got like an iPad here. Man, you are iPhone. a true blue. Uh, uh, um, you, you've, you've had a lot of resistance thinking when it comes I've, to Macintosh. I resisted the Macintosh for many years, but yesterday. But the, oh, yesterday, the big announcement. Or, or the, uh, or two the, days the, ago, a couple the, days ago. Yeah. The, uh, Apple arm. Yeah. Uh, 20 hour, processor. 20 hour battery life. Come on. Super fast processor, 20 hour battery life. Here's why you should get a Mac. Okay. Oh, I so that's your position. I My should. position is that you're you a Mac should. User. I'm a Mac user. I'm an early adopter. I've mm. been, I've been, mm. uh, from the beginning, as soon as I could afford it, right? I mean, I used to go and buy like a big old tech. The thing is, 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 you know, you were a PC user back when like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, we're getting a Dell. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Although you well, were probably Gateway than, 2000. Yeah, I, I had an say. IBM PC Junior. <laughs> <laughs> PC since 1992, dude. Yeah, man. That's a long time to go and make the switch. But you're almost, already. You're almost already 30 years. Using, yeah. You're already using the iPad Pro. It is my main computer Primarily when Primarily. I travel, teach, you're whatever. Already yeah. using, you're already using an iPhone. That's right. And That's these right. things are sync, making your life easier. Yeah. Right? They, they sync are. up your, yeah. your iMessage. Sync up all of your passwords. Oh, dude, that kills me on Safari when I'm like, you know, I got all my password stuff. I use the long long ones now, so, I, so I don't even know them. Got to be safe. And then I get on my PC. I'm like, oh, I don't, log, I don't know how to log into MailChimp because it's on the other thing. <laughs> That's uh, why you got to do it, man. I'm in. And I think Reed, you should get get a Mac. You should join the cult club. What's the word I'm looking for? Pull club. pull into the Mac idolatry world and pull uh, in. Worship with the get your get your house idol. This is for my friend Brian Lowe, pastor of Exodus Church in Charlotte. He is, knows my strong resistance that this is an important day, Brian. You might be proud of me soon. I might join the fold. <laughs> you might finally approve of me. Well, we're going to be talking about having more of a uh, backbone today about certain things and why we resist. Last week we said, hey, if we maintain our identity as followers of Christ, there's opportunity to influence others and to create both as a person and our families and our churches and communities, refuge, right, for uh, people uh, to come and see and uh, hear the gospel and see a different flow in the world than, you know, the chaos that's all around us. We have to resist for those reasons. But what are some of the things in, uh, resi- that we resist? We're going to get real specific in our next few episodes. Today, uh, there are siren songs of power why we should resist the grasping of power, and then certainly the pollution of uh, wrongfully ordered pleasures. Pleasure's good, wrongfully ordered pleasure's not good. We're going to talk about those two things today. We're going to talk about being resistance forces for uh, human rights. We're going to talk about uh, universal human rights. Why are they there? Where do they come from? Why should we affirm them? Uh, Why as believers we should stand fast for them? Uh, We're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks though. But today I want to launch us, Jesse, by reading from the introduction. It's a little bit of a long quote from the foreword of the book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. This is written, uh, I think, the first edition, like 1985. I think that's right. 
by Neil Postman. Now, 1985 is a significant date in in, in our culture because uh, George Orwell, right, wrote, and, and they even had a Macintosh Super Bowl commercial about 1984. That's right. Uh, 1984 was this, or if you hear the term Orwellian, it means like this kind of totalitarian, heavy-handed state, big brother. Those expressions come from that book, 1984. And, and a year after that, Neil Postman wrote this uh, forward to his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he was mainly concerned with television's effect on people. I mean, obviously, uh, they they post uh, they published a 20-year edition on 2005 that was uh, probably updated with some ideas related to, now we have social yeah, media. They, they need to do a 35-year oh edition. Oh, my gosh. They yeah, do. because Postman is really critiquing even even the PBS and in, and in, in education t- television, but it's all you know right. TV based. But the medium affects the message, kind of thing. Yeah. That, that we become stupid and by amusing ourselves to death. But here's the Ford, very insightful. We were keeping our eye on 1984 when the year came, and the prophecy of Big Brother didn't. Thoughtful Americans sang softly in praise of themselves. The roots of liberal democracy have held fast. What Whatever the terror had happened, we at least had not been visited by Orwellian nightmares, right? Big Brother didn't show up. Totalitarian state did not show up. But then he continues, but we had forgotten that alongside Orwell's dark vision, there was another, slightly older, slightly less known, equally chilling, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Contrary to the common belief, even amongst the educated, Huxley and Orwell did not prophesy the same thing. Orwell warns us that we will be overcome by an externally opposed oppression. But in Huxley's visions, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. As he saw it, People will come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. What Orwell feared was those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared that we'd become a captive culture. Huxley feared we'd become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy. I don't know what that is, Jesse. We're going to learn vocabulary. Uh, Bumble puppy sounds like silliness, right? Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny fail to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, Huxley added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In the Brave New World, they're controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that we will uh, what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. And then Postman writes, continues, this book is about the possibility that Huxley, not Orwell, was right. Jesse, mm. 
Mm, first of all, cent- centrifugal bumble puppy, if I remember correctly. And, and <laughs> if you here, remember correctly, here's the thing: is I just read this book last year. You remember oh, I did my post- like, yeah. my, I did my uh, not no 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 I didn't I didn't read Amusing Ourselves to Death last year. Oh, I Brave read New World. Brave New World last year because I was doing my 50 book challenge, trying to read 50 books yes, in a year. Yes, yes. And to be completely honest with you, I was like really. Uh, tired of reading yeah <laughs> and i was like what's a little book that i could read and, yeah. I, and i and i saw brave new world on my uh on my bookcase and i have i had read amusing ourselves to death and so i was like I, i'm gonna I'm gonna check, gonna out check this out um and it, it is a bleak book it oh is, my gosh it, it's there, so bleak. it is not a positive book and, and i remember they pl- they played this kind of a le- electro golf game but i think this bumble puppy was a kid's game where the, where the ball spins <laughs> the around ball and spins shoots around out. and shoots out yeah, and like the savages are are kind of people that live traditional lives. Yeah. They're not born in a bottle, you know, created by science. Yeah. They kind of have faith, birth kind of ideas. And uh, yeah, Peacock, I guess, streaming service. Uh, we're not recommending. Right? We're not recommending the show. It's it's got some. Sounds like it's got some real nasty in it. Um, but reality, right? People getting drunk on their pleasures and then easily controlled from the different direction. In fact, they take a, a, a drug that's you know biochemical attuned to people that doesn't destroy them it just makes them high and they take soma i think soma. is the name of soma holidays yeah. just check out uh get get stoned and be easily controlled but don't you think don't you think read that um well first of all neil postman is i think incisive and brilliant in, in amusing ourselves to death. And yeah. so much of what you just read is just like, oh my gosh, that's so true, isn't it? Like It was prophetic in 1985 and so prescient to see how much this has even uh, gotten probably worse than he could have ever anticipated in that time. That's right. Yeah, that, that the idea that uh, we wouldn't need to ban books because there'd be no reason, because no one no, want, wants to want read, read one, yeah. that, that we would... Uh, Truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. But don't you think that there's, in some ways, I, I was thinking back over this, that both visions are coming true together, aren't they? I mean, I mean, there, there does seem to be a kind of um, big state uh, surveillance. We, we live in a surveillance yeah. world where um, even our, even by our pleasures, we're being uh, attempted to be controlled by a yeah. small group of. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the the social dilemma. I guess the Netflix right. documentary. Documentary. If you guys haven't seen that, watch that. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, both social network companies, uh, video game companies. They have you know psychologists, uh, behaviorists on their staff to try to get you to do stuff over and over and over again uh, for their profit, obviously. And so, the, and, and even you think about it, this domineering tyranny kind of thing that's not out right there are politicians that maybe want to go for that um you know fascism in the 20th century certainly was that um and there are certainly those who want to dumb everything down and uh drown us in information and fake news and alternative facts where nobody knows what to believe anymore and so malcolm muggeridge uh, a man who lived um 1903 to 1990 british guy dad was a socialist muggeridge actually became a proponent of communism even went to the soviet union i believe uh, i don't have this in the notes in like the 1930s played with that and then became a very, very um, 
uh, opponent of communism and for Western civilization and freedom. Um, But he wrote an insightful uh, thing that I've heard quoted many times. Uh, He said this, if God is dead, somebody is going to have to take his place. It will be either megalomania or erotomania, the drive for power or the drive for pleasure, the clenched fist or the phallus, Hitler or Hugh Hefner, obviously the founder of Playboy. And he's hitting exactly this Huxleyan urge and this Orwellian urge. Which one will it be? And now, in, in some ways, you know, depending on your politics, obviously we're just post. I guess we're not post-election. I guess we're still stuck in this season where victory has been declared. It has not been conceded. People are trying to sue and the, these types of things. But even in our current president, you kind of have a person who has a history of both power, like he loves to fire everybody, firing everybody now. And kind of, you know, the other stuff in terms of being a kind of a playboy figure in America. We we never assumed maybe that those two things, uh, power and pleasure, Hitler, Hugh Hefner, might merge into one person. Who knows? Um, this quote, though, Jesse, I end and certainly the foreword from Postman, mm-hmm. I think, gives us insight if we're to follow Jesus as a resistance community, uh, resistance thinking in Babylon, maintaining our identity, but yet wanting to influence people and culture, that we have to resist both the Orwellian and the Huxleyan, yeah. the the megalomania, the power lust, and the erotomania, the lust lust. Um, so we have to resist that. Yeah, the the Malcolm Muggeridge quote, you know, I, I, he must be, I, of course, hearkening back to Nietzsche and, and the idea that uh, God is dead and we killed him. Yep. And now we must become gods in order to um, appear worth it, I think, is the end of, of that yeah. quote. That, How are we to be worthy uh, of such a deed? The murderer of all murderers. God is dead. We've killed him, right? Yeah. We're going to have to become greater humans to be worthy of such a deed, right? Yeah, and that, and that drive to power is it, it it i mean i think really one of the key um one of the key things we see in say philippians 2 and in the scriptures is this p- picture of the the ultimate powerful one subverting the so-called powers of the world by yeah. uh by becoming a man but even more than that becoming a a doulos or a slip kind of the bottom servant. of the barrel servant born yeah. in galilee you know, and, and so the, I, I do think a, a Christian posture towards the powers of the world is a is a posture that is uh, subversively uh, low and um, serving. I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, you're you're definitely getting to um, how we resist things for sure when we look at the uh, methods and model in the person of Jesus. And bringing up Nietzsche, I think, is fantastic because that quote about, you know, I, th- I guess it's in the spoke Zarathustra, I think, is where the, the, the parable of the madman, God is dead, those kind of ideas he, he mixed up in those works of literature. He was really predicting, you know, he, he even said, if God is dead, you know, what sacred games will we have to create? So this kind of diversion and pleasure not to look at the reality yeah. of what that means. And then certainly his philosophy was that history was creating the what I guess loosely translated into English is creating the 
the Overman. The Superman. Yeah, the Uber, the, yeah, yeah, the Ubermanch or whatever, yeah. Uberman yeah. or something, where the Overman, where the one who was bold, who lives beyond morality, beyond good and evil, who takes power, puts his own will into action, um, will be kind of the one who defines the next epoch of history, so to speak. And so this idea of taking control or power over others, the will to power, and the diversionary reality of misordered pleasures, right, can devastate the world. So as a community, followers of Jesus, we have to resist. So first of all, we resist megalomania or what I'm just calling statism, right? Statism. Uh, Plato, obviously, ancient Greek philosopher, had this phrase, the state is man's parent. The idea that a well-ordered state in society uh, is what uh, brings people up into their full potential, each person finding their place. Um, Interestingly enough, there's lots of things in history, including Huxley's book, where there's different people that have different, uh, these are the intellectual class, these are the warrior class, these people do this thing, and they're kind of stuck in it, right? That goes all the way back to Plato's Republic. Um, is the state man's uh, parent? I'll just point to this sign back here. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, I love Psalm 121. For where does my help come from? If we ask that question today, many people say, what's well, going to come from Donald Trump or Joe Biden or or the man, right? It's like Supreme Court. Supreme Court. We got to have that. We got to have the power. If we got the power, people. Now, look. Power can be used rightly for good, for justice. Uh, we're not We're not opposed to power. We are opposed to think that our ultimate help and trust should be in princes or presidents or Supreme Court justices. Where does our help come from? This is Psalm 28. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We have to start there in resisting statism or thinking power, power grabs. Uh, Christian people, particularly in America, on the left and the right, think that their political control is key to all things. Mm. To resist that idea is so important for us because we can be captured by the right or the left and lose right our saltiness and as followers of Jesus. So where does our help come from? First, it comes from God, right? It is no insult to any human being to say, where does our help come from? We should pray. We should seek God. We should seek to be strengthened by God. Um, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He's not sleep on the job. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore so we have to realize we we this is the way we resist we say our help comes from god and then uh god calls us to be responsible for our obedience and following him you know we should take responsibility for our lives we should care about our families and then we should care about our communities radiating out into helping others loving our neighbors loving our enemies and in doing so yes we should have good government we should have a state the scriptures teach that i think there's good government bad government just laws unjust laws and work together towards that but ultimate allegiance to use that that word that that, that you've kind of put in my heart and mind the last couple years the ultimate allegiance cannot shift to the republicans cannot shift to the Democrats. We have to resist this idea that if we just have power, then we'll be able to make the world right. Hey, so, so Reed, let me ask you a question because all of that is really landing for me, especially in it's, it's November of 2020. We're still not sure what's going to happen with the uh, (laughs) 
transfer of power. People are and, fearing fascism as well as, you know, yeah, big and, government. And all of that all of that really lands there, especially because I'm I'm interacting with hundreds of people in, in our congregation who are asking a lot of these questions and, and thinking through like what what uh what is my right relationship when it comes to hope and power and yeah. but I wonder too if can can we take this to another level with when it comes to say um uh seeking power in personal avenues like is there a way to take so so here let me let me see if I can put it another way uh how much should we be aware of of the pursuit of power maybe even particularly when it comes to um having influence having um cultural social capital uh you know, the, obviously, like you mentioned, with the government, there's good. There's good government. There are good laws. There's just government. In fact, and it's know, very important. It's important. Right? God, yeah. God, in Romans 13, we we hear that God has given us the government mm-hmm. for doing justice and with you know holding back evil and injustice. And in the same way, having personal influence, you know, getting more power within maybe yeah. institutions or yeah. uh, is good. But can can we identify a place where it becomes? Uh, to kind of embed with this kind of megalomania, the the kind of um, if if we get yeah, I think those lines are very hard and difficult for all of us to figure out because look, we we are a government by the people for the people. We we don't exist in you know communist Poland, right? Where uh, you know certain movements resisting you know communist dictatorships or fascist dictatorships. We still live in a representative democracy, so we have a right to participate mm-hmm. in the the power of the people, so to speak. And so we and we should, right? We absolutely should. The shift comes for me. Uh, when we start to think that the powerful person is going to say to us, right, I'm the powerful person. Without me, you have, you have no power. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, without them, I can't do anything. And then we shift that. What is this person, God? Well, it, then we shift it in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so uh, there have been people that stop, you know, close the mouths of lions who, who stopped kings and kingdoms in prayer and through resistance, right? Daniel, yeah. we looked at Daniel for a reason. I think it's the best. Jesus in, Jesus in the New Testament, Daniel in the Old Testament, great examples of operating and using positions, Esther as well, being placed in providential place of power and influence through excellence, yeah. by all means influence Babylon, Daniel. But there are lines drawn when that power comes for you and asks you for you to shift your allegiance. Oh, where does my help come from? Well, it comes from the Republicans or the Democrats. Then we've shifted something and kind of emptied the throne of the one who belongs on it and put someone else there. And I think that's idolatry. Mm. Uh, I think it's very dangerous. And I think then all of a sudden we're captured and controlled. That makes sense. You know, I know I've mentioned, I think I mentioned on here that I'm reading a book uh, by Yuval Levin called a time to build. And uh, he's really trying to revisit the idea of what are institutions in American public life and how should we approach them? And, and, and he's making the case that institutions in the last 50 years, especially 60 years in America have shifted from being primarily thought of as, um, uh, as social structures that, that are, are kind of mold, right? Frameworks, frameworks, but also shape the ones who are in it. So if you're, you know, if you're in the bowling league and the bowling league has a certain culture, it's shaping everyone who participates in the, in the bowling league league into a certain type of person. That's right. Uh, And we've shifted to seeing uh, rather than institutions as molds of people, 
that institutions now have become platforms for power and, and yeah. for um, performance. And, and I think because of mass communication, um, uh, globalism, um, there's an immediacy the way people yeah. view institutions where it all has to go to the top and top down where reality is if you couldn't communicate, well, you know, you lived in, you know, one province of, of, of North America, you, you weren't communicating regularly with folks unless you get on a horse, bring them a letter or something like that. It took a lot of time. Yeah, that's right. So, so the institutions that aren't talked about as much today, um, are things like the family, um, the the local church, the yeah. you know, in, if you, in a secular pluralistic side, the mosque, the synagogues, these shaping institutions, right, that are much more local, not just geographically, but to the heart. Yeah, and and we shift everything to the na- you know, to Hollywood, to the national media, to the the presidency, whereas the neglect of one's own personal character. One's own home, right? And who who in my community is exemplifying the kind of virtue and and, and, uh, life that I'd want to emulate? Right. And, you know, in our neighborhood, it's kind of funny because we had mostly Biden-Harris signs, but a couple Trump signs. And and I know for a fact, because we know the people here, and and my wife knows them even better than I do, um, that, that they get along. Yeah, these people are friends. They we actually have we're looking out for the community. We have a little Facebook group. You know, we do things to celebrate seasons in this little neighborhood. Uh, and you know, one of the African American guys had a Trump sign out. I you know, and you you would think, wow, what's that guy doing? And so it's um, it's a really interesting thing to ask. Okay, where does our help come from? If we leave out, you know from your relationship with God, your own, you know, building character, building families, building churches, building communities. We leave all that out and just fight it out for the main levers up top. It's like, you know, let the wizard of Oz be the wizard of Oz. Now when that stuff does come down into our lives, so we have to participate. I'm not saying we shouldn't. Um, And we have to participate in more than one way, not just by trying to take control of these things, but by quite literally resisting power. Um, And I think that's where, uh, you asking where the lines are, and I think justice injustice, and for for me, man, that's moral immoral, right? Yeah. Who says that? Well, for us, God does, right? And so the role of you know nonviolent civil disobedience, right? Daniel, hey, we ain't bowing down. Okay, yeah. we're gonna throw you. We're gonna throw you. We're gonna throw you to lions. We're gonna throw your buddies in a, in a, you know, burn them up. Um, come what may, we're going to obey God, not man. The apostle said that. Um, the Hebrew midwives in the book of Exodus, we're not killing the babies, right? We're, we, you know, ooh, they kind of made up the little okey-doke to get out of the Pharaoh's command to kill babies. Yep. There's a time for civil disobedience that we have to engage in. And so, I don't know, where do you stand on civil civil disobedience, man? Like, uh, when do you obey, not obey? Do you, you got some thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, r- right along with what you said, I think the scriptures already give us models of course bonhoeffer uh yeah. you know the namesake of the bonhoeffer house i ain't no nazi particip- <laughs> <laughs> he's like nazism nope nope <laughs> participated in a pretty radical form of disobedience one in which Man. he personally felt like he he was required to to actually act sinfully yeah to participate in a kind of uh uh plot on the life of hitler yeah. like he, essentially he he felt like I have to get my hands dirty for the for the sake of justice, yeah. Um, you know, but I think you, you you I don't think the the scriptures actually require a um, I don't think the scriptures require us to transgress the Ten Commandments or God's moral law right. in order to be 
to do just good, to do good, to be, you know, I don't Should I do evil. So the good results, no, yeah, by no means. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't think so. Say the Hebrew midwives who are, uh, essentially playing a little loose and fast. Yeah. With the truth. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not, they're hiding. They're basically, you know, our, our Hebrew women give birth too fast. So, yeah. we, you know, by the time we get there, they're already, they're not like your Egyptian women. Right. Like, they're not weak and pathetic. They're, they're dropping the babies quick, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 uh, and so what we would say is, um, I think there are times where, where, yeah. where like in, in the book of Acts, you know, yeah. you'll have to judge for yourself as I, I already know I need to obey God yes. first before yes. I obey, uh, unjust requirements that's right. that's of right. any kind of civil, you know, authority. It, it, it's interesting the way that ethics is taught. And I know this because my kids are in public school um, where, you know, you usually just give these hard, sticky, wicked type situations like, oh, what do you do? You, you've got uh, Jewish people hidden under your floor and the Nazis come in. Are you going to tell the truth and commit them to death or are you going to lie and do, you know, that that kind of case study of the yeah. most extreme edges of morality, we like that because it pushes us. But um, if you don't have any moral principles before the circumstances arrive, and then you try to determine your mul- uh, your moral uh, impulses or d- uh, conclusions and decisions based upon what you think might happen, you're in a you're in a devastating position because you don't know what to do ever. Um, and that's why I don't like consequentialism or utilitarianism yeah. in terms of ethics. Cause you go like, well, what is this? What if I do this? What all is going to happen? What you can't know or control at times, but certainly we do have certain moral principles, uh, to walk in and you just do what's right in the moment. And then you trust, trust God with the outcome. Yeah. Amen. That, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you and, and would probably consider myself to be more in the camp of virtue ethics that, yep. you know, cause even yep. deontological, even the idea that God has given a law and we need to follow the law becomes really, it does still become really tricky, right? Because what, again, using that kind of stick, sticky one there of like, well, what do you do? You, you, is it bearing false witness to yeah. say that you don't have any Jewish people hidden under the floorboard, right. you know, right. you know, and, right. and, and it, I think really what, what God is, is doing with the law is saying, this is the way, this is the way life is meant to work. This is the, the, if you fit into the grain of the created order of things, if you become a virtuous person, the type of person who, who is at a, home in a, the kingdom, a good person, a good person, <laughs> yeah, virtuous, yeah. Uh, then, then, then yeah. you will know what to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think those go together. I I, I see no war between yeah. moral precepts and virtue ethics, in the sense that you know Thomas Aquinas says we become the good by doing the good, habituation and practice. Of course, Aristotle's virtue ethics would would accord with that, and and there is a difference between what a virtuous person would do, uh, given a set of circumstances, than one who's developed a, a, a vicious kind of character, right? And so, um, God has not left us without witness. In fact, to make decisions to disobey a government. Uh, to, for for Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail to have weight, uh, there has to be a moral law by which he disobeys or or sees the 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 current state statism as unjust. Now, in you know, for those who like fancy ethics terms on civil disobedience, there are two views within uh, in Christian ethics. I'd say non promulgationalism that if if the government even promulgates or allows evil that we should disobey it and, and are, are exempt from following the state. Um, for instance, the example of uh, it's legal to have, say, uh, the right to abortion in our culture. Some would say, well, because our government supports that crime or that, that, that evil, then I don't have to obey this government. Uh, non-compulsionists disagree. They'd say, we obey the government unless it compels us by force or fraud to sin. 
right? Um, and then we disobey, come what may. And it doesn't mean like if, if the government calls me to do something or wrong, if I civilly disobey, it doesn't mean that I pick up a machine gun and fight the government. It just means I disobey that government and I accept whatever consequences may That's come. Right. Right? Like Daniel. Yeah, like Daniel. Yeah. Um, so, but we have to resist the government sometimes and this kind of grasping for power from whatever side of the political spectrum it comes, we have to resist that and keep Jesus as King, uh, follow his precepts, uh, become virtuous people that look more and smell more and act more like Jesus, uh, as we resist megalomania and statism. Um, secondly, we won't spend as much time here, Jesse. We resist erotomania or is immoralism, right? Or amoralism, uh, no morality. People say, you know, it's Donald Trump, an immoral person. So, well, it seems like he's amoral. Like it doesn't matter. He he does kind of what is expedient. Mm. Um, the question when we want to resist immorality or, uh, soaking ourselves in illicit pleasures to the point of our own destruction, the question always is whose morality, right? For us, we're going to say our morality, human morality given to us by God, uh, that we want to order our lives according to what God has made us for. So pleasures, for example, pleasures of food, pleasures of drink, pleasures of alcohol, pleasures of sexuality, these uh, pleasures of uh, entertainment or imagination or creativity. Um, you and I both are on the same page. All of these pleasures are good. Yeah. They're all gifts, right? Um in their proper place. Because when we take pleasure and we put it in its wrong place, then all of those things, food, drink, alcohol, sexuality, entertainment, all of those things can start to debase us, right? They can start to be ruinous in our lives. Um, video game, want to play a video game? Great. Play it for 15 hours a day. You know, it, it wrecks people, right? Um, sexuality, God has designed and purposed it, our bodies for worship, for procreation, for unification, for intimacy, uh, for his reflection of his goodness in the marriage covenant. Uh, keep it in those places. It's good for humanity. Take it out. It starts to wreck people. And we see that in the modern world from the, the effects of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, uh, the use and abuse of one another's bodies for our own purposes rather than the purposes of God. By by all means, we have to resist these things today. And sometimes we need uh, um, we need help resisting. Which, by the way, back back to the idea of of these are created goods. It got you know, it's not as though Satan had a had a or or the you know. That there was some sort of dark force creating uh, beer, <laughs> yeah, beer or sex or something like yeah, that. Yeah, These yeah. are things that are created goods that yeah. God created, and that have only been bent and twisted and have have uh, transgressed the boundaries that that they're meant for, and that that within the boundaries and, and within uh, the place that God intends. You know, it's like a um, one of the best thing. One of my favorite things to do is to sit around my fire pit and yeah. just hang out, whether it's with my family. My boys, my kids, my wife, my friends, um, and it's a good thing. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, but but I'm not going to start a fire in my you know dining room. <laughs> right. I'm just going to start a little fire on the floor. Give me that chair, honey. You know, and we're going to burn it uh, because it's it's not the right place for it. That's right. That's um, right. But when it comes to resisting that, uh, it does seem like we need each other in significant ways uh, because. Um, as a matter of fact, I love the fact that you titled this uh, 
um, the the siren songs of power and pleasure because of yeah. course the Odyssey you've you've got yeah. the the sirens singing and um and and what is what does uh, Ulysses do right he <laughs> he has them uh, well first he has them stuff their ears so they won't hear the right ear, right and wax up their ears so they won't hear the song so that they won't be tempted in that direction and then he has them. Tied up, or is that right? They, they tie him to the mask because right. he wants to hear it. <laughs> yeah, and we're not recommending that. But yeah. as yeah. a matter of fact, another thing in the uh, that actually may be more pertinent to the idea of being led astray by uh, erot- eroticism or just uh, uh, physical um, Lo- lovers of sights and sounds pleasure yeah. is uh, in the in the Odyssey. They uh, they end up getting pushed aside to this little island of the Lotus Eaters. And and the 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 lotus eaters were a very friendly. So typically, you know, in the in the story, they're going and they're having to fight everything. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. Yeah. But they land at the the island of the lotus eaters, and they they send a few few people into the island to check it out, like what's going on with the people on the island. And what they find is the people have this. They eat the lotuses. The, they eat the fruit of the lotus plants. And it's like a narcotic. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they never come back. Yeah. So he sends more. They <laughs> basically new world. Yeah. They basically go after them, right? Mm. And they're and they find that they've forgotten. They've forgotten about home. They don't want to get back on the boat. People have been really nice, and they just give them more more of the lotus food. Yeah. And so they drag them. Yeah. And the story goes that they drag them, basically kicking and screaming. They don't want yeah. to go home. The whole yeah. thing is they want to go home, but they don't want to go home because of how good it tastes, right? Yeah, and so they, they have to have their brothers bring them back to the boat. And and just they're just gotta get off the shore because uh, they got to get home. They know they no longer they've forgotten what's good for them. Uh, yeah, parents have to do that, right? Yeah, and certainly the idea that uh, friends, uh, brothers and sisters, people in community should do that for each other, right? And that's hard to do if you don't know people. It's hard for somebody to say, "Hey, you should get away from the lotus plants," if if you don't know them, right. right? And that's where community being lost and us just relating through social media and uh, at a national, global level is just a disaster because we can't know people and be known. So we resist the lust for power. We resist the lust for pleasure um, by put, by pursuing pleasure, pleasure in its right place. Even you know, uh, using and and uh, living in a way that's good in relationship to God's good gifts. And then finally, we resist. I just added this one. It's not in the title of the show, but chaos and anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, chaos and anarchy. God's very creation of the world takes chaos and orders it. That's a creation story. Clearly does that specifically in the backdrop of kind of ancient Near Eastern views of the sea and the darkness and the deep and all that. God is creating order out of disorder. He is creating and ordering life. Um, we see that in DNA replication. There's codes and design and purpose uh, in what's happening. So we see order out of chaos uh, in creation. We also see it in community. And one of the passages in the New Testament that, you know, Certain types of Christians debate each other because it's about, you know, certain things that people believe, you know, speaking in tongues, if, if you want to know. First uh, Corinthians 14. One of the things that's reminded uh, this early community in the, in the city of Corinth is that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, right? As in all, uh, as in all the churches of the saints. Now we also see, but all things should be done decently and in order that God is not, you know, as much as, you know, like, Hey, I'm a fly by the seat of my pants person. I like being a little bit loosey goosey. That's great. Uh, but order is good for human beings. 
people that want to throw the world into chaos and anarchy, confusion, right? Um, usually so they can emerge as its savior, either from a place of power or a place of deception, um, is always, uh, always deleterious to human beings. It always messes us up, right? And so we want to resist that. We want to have uh, a, a good ordered soul, uh, an ordered community, an ordered family even, uh, and resi- good government, right? Uh, those who want to throw government into chaos and anarchy are not helpful ultimately to uh, shaping peace in the world as God would have us. So we got to resist the chaos, Jesse, in our souls, in our homes, in our communities, in our local churches, in our government, right? That's part of resisting well in the world. These are some of the things we resist. Got anything else for us as we come down the mountain? No, I just, I love ending there. I didn't know we were going to chaos and anarchy, but the idea, the idea being uh, a fragmented and chaotic in the soul is, is, I mean, it is really hard to create order and build order in communities and churches and homes and families and government when our own soul is fragmented. Absolutely. So, you know, Jesus said it, the, if you're faithful in little, then you can be faithful in much. We both over our whole careers really have worked with young people. We still do yeah. work with young people. And I, I tell this to young guys a lot, you know, you know you're 23 and you want to, you know, I'm going to be a lead pastor and be on a stage and be a church leader and this and that. And I was like, well, yeah, get out of bed on time, show up to meetings on time, read your Bible every day, develop some discipline in your life because right. The mastery by the spirit of God, one of the fruits of the spirit, health control, you can master yeah, yourself. Right. Then maybe, maybe you'll be able to order a home someday and love a, love, love a wife and until then man you're messed up got to get that right so that you can be a person a man or a woman in the world right that isn't contributing to chaos and anarchy uh, but you you're someone pr- producing peace and order and shalom That's right. for others and, and, and in the scriptures you see the promise of the abundant life and it's like we, we take that to mean the life that is above our problems. But that's not what it is, right? right that's right. like the life of the kingdom where, where we become more and more whole. We become yeah. more yeah. Uh, in order in our soul. And, and that happens following Jesus. That, th- this is, you know, yeah, that, that's something that, that he does to, to us. And as we model our lives after him, man, that internal ordering of the soul. Amen. In, in Jesus, the fullness of God dwelled in bodily form. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory, is changing us, right, from one degree to another. We're not who we will be someday. We're disordered, but we're, we're going to keep on keeping on following him as he works in us so that we create a different reality that manifests uh, the life, the nature of the king and the kingdom in our midst as we flow. We've got to resist to do that, Jesse. Thanks for Resistance joining us today. not futile. It's not futile. Don't get bored. The Gospel Underground podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House and Jesse Fury. Review us on iTunes. Seriously, guys, review it. I, I talked to a friend this week, said, I'm listening to you while I'm running. I was like, drop us a review, man, on iTunes. Five stars. We accept those. Send your comments, feedback, questions, and things you might want us to take up here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands. Between the lust for power, megalomania, and erotomania. We're a resistance team, guys. Keep on keeping on. Peace. Peace.